I'll go ahead and say I don't think Dolphins Cry is a bad song, and I don't think I even thought that it was a bad song at the time. It was just overplayed all the hell. I, it was on the radio constantly. Right. And I mean, it, it's got a corny, smuggy ass fucking vibe to it. I love the song and I'm and I will. Def, I'm going to defend I, the song. I'm not saying it's bad. I don't like it, <laughs> but I'm not saying it's a bad song. Right. And I, and that that's, that's going to be a that's going to be a theme. Episode nine recorded September 16th, 2021. Uh, this is uh, the, the the Richard Wooten podcast, which I feel still very self conscious about saying, but that's what the fuck it is. So here we are. It's got to have a title. You got to call it something. Um, and I'm I'm not I'm too non-committal to pick a topic and stick stick to that. So and I'm too non-committal to call it the Robert Babel podcast. <laughs> yeah, we can't or like Rich and Rob Smooth Duds or like some <laughs> shit like that. Like Zoo Crew in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Rich and Rob can't uh, not. Yeah, we're just not. Um, we just aren't gonna. We just can't commit to that. So, uh, so yeah, you're stuck with my bullshit, um, Richard Wooten. So, uh, but yeah, man. So, so how are things? <laughs> things are things. Uh, I mean, I guess. I don't know, do you have anything besides the topic you want to touch on? First uh, of all, I mean, I, I figured we'd just riff for a second about whatever. So Yeah, I kind of wanted to bring up the Norm thing, honestly. Please. Because that's been, that's been on my mind a lot lately. Not really so much bothering me. So Norm MacDonald, comedian, passed away, age 61, from cancer uh, two days ago now. Uh, after having cancer, uh, I forget what type it was, pancreatic or something to that effect, but uh, for nine years without telling virtually anybody which is fuck. It was pancreatic cancer? I think so, maybe. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I don't remember, okay. honestly. Yeah, pa- pancreatic cancer is like... It's a very common one, but it's also very dangerous, so I'm thinking maybe not. I, I, I know that it's extremely painful. Yeah, like my sister had pancreatic cancer. Fuck? Yeah. Your sister's like younger than you. I know. <laughs> she had to get like part of her stomach and shit removed. Fuck. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, my great-grandma died of, died of pancreatic cancer. Bill Hicks, also pancreatic cancer, I'm pretty sure. I'm thinking it probably wasn't pancreatic. That was just the first thing that came to my head. I'm thinking it wasn't that. Um, Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than if you don't know Norm MacDonald, like, go look his shit up on YouTube. And anytime he was on, like, Letterman or Conan O'Brien or Weekend Update on SNL in the early 90s or anything like that, uh, one of the funniest dudes who's ever lived. Easily. Hands down, like... One of the most unique comedians who's ever lived. That was, that's, I mean, so he, I feel like I really missed out on, um, I'm trying to look up what fucking kind of cancer. It just says cancer, cancer, cancer. Okay. I saw it somewhere, but yeah, I didn't. Um, Because he just sort of seemed to, to like fit in with the background of all the other 90s Saturday Night Live cast that like he sort of just seemed to be a, just a consistent B list yeah of of those of like the Chris Farley's and the Adam Sandler's he was he was him and the Rob Schneider pulling up the oh don't please don't group I, <laughs> don't I, group him with Deuce Bigelow I'm referring to my perception <laughs> yeah, yeah, of yeah. him well no because you watch like Billy Madison and he, him and 
Was it Artie Lang, I guess? Were the friends in that movie? I think so, Who that yeah. is like lounged by the pool all day being idiots? Right. They were just there. Right. And so he had these sort of totally. recurring like bit roles in those movies. And you're like, oh yeah, there's that guy. And yeah. he only had like, I think one feature film, which was Dirty D- Work. Dirty Work, yeah. And and I remember watching me like, that's funny, but I don't think I really get it. Um, and I, It's been a while since I've watched that movie. But I used to love it, and I bet I would get it in like a different way if I watched it today. Right, and it directed by Bob Saget, by the way. Fuck, yeah, <laughs> of course. And um, so, so I think it was really easy for a lot of people, a lot for him to fly under the radar because you you're exposed to him and you're exposed to Weekend Update. Yeah, and you're like, oh well, that's what that guy does, and I don't need to, you know. Oh, that that's that that's that guy. Fine, move on. You know. Oh, he does stand up. Okay, whatever. But you, you know, you don't really like think about it, and you don't yeah. you don't understand that. Oh no, this is a unique comic genius. There, the, the stuff that he did do so rarely bubbled up to the mainstream because it just wasn't. He never went in for that. Like he, right? He didn't want to be successful like that. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do and what you know, come what may. Oh. Um. So he had yeah. He did uh, SNL for like I think five years and Weekend Update for three of those. And he became like the the gold standard for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And everyone after that, like Colin Quinn, uh, Seth Meyers later on, somebody else that I'm forgetting, uh, emulated him to a certain okay. extent. And he he was like the the one to look back on. But uh, so he wasn't on SNL for too long, like compared to a lot of the bigger names you know from right, like Will Ferrell, ten years or whatever the fuck it was. Mm. Um, and then after that, he kind of didn't do much of anything. Thing. He was like, yeah, in Billy Madison or whatever in the background. Mm-hmm. And then he did dirty work in like the early 2000s, I think, late 90s, somewhere along in there. And then didn't do anything for a while. He had a, he had a show on some network that did pretty poorly, I think. It was like well regarded, but ratings wise, in the shitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he eventually put out a couple of comedy albums, like stand up albums, I think. And that was how I got back into him was like in 2011 or 12, he did me doing standup, which is just him for like an hour in front of a crowd, a small crowd. And it's some of the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. It's incredible. And so that got me to like, so to the point where uh, I was hanging out with a couple of friends when I discovered that and they were not into Norm MacDonald at all, but I put it on and we all sat there and watched it and cried laughing for like an hour. Nice. Extremely good. Um, And he, again, didn't really do too much in that time. Mm -hmm. But he was like appearing on talk shows here and there. He'd have a little bit part here and there and just do sort of host an award show or whatever. Just kind of silently behind the scenes, always being the guy who everyone thought was the funniest dude. I see. That kind of thing. So did he have like a comedian's comedian kind of rep? Absolutely. Okay. Like if you look at Twitter from the past few days, it's just every comedian you've ever heard of going, this was the funniest guy I've ever seen. Right. Like he... Conan O'Brien literally tweets like how devastated he was. And he was like, I'll never laugh harder. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yep. That's high praise. High yeah. praise. Well, well, and it like you showed me. I was over at your place the other night, and you showed me a bunch of clips. I was it was the day he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I happened to be over there, and you showed me a bunch of clips, and because I'm I'm pretty ignorant, you know, and and it was it became very clear that that one there's just no give a there's absolutely zero give a fuck in in his in his because you showed me a lot of 
like him with David Letterman or him with Conan. Right, exactly. And stuff like that. And it's just, there's just no, he gives no fucks yeah. it's whatsoever. The, it's, the, n- it's the kind of dude where like, you know, he doesn't give a shit if the whole room is laughing or if only he is laughing at the joke yeah. he just told. If no yeah. one else gets it, he'll stare at you until you laugh at the fact that he's staring at, but he's having fun. Right. That sort of thing. Right. And there, this, that Matt, he has a masterful delivery that, yeah. and, 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 and it, it, there's almost an Andy Kaufman kind of thing. Totally. Which I remember, I remember, I think I watched like, I think it was the Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman documentary. Man on the Moon. Yeah. 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 And um, not the movie, but the documentary about Jim oh, Carrey right. when he made the movie. And how he was as he was becoming that character. Right. Yes. Right. And I think that there was something, I mean, part of it is like half of it is sort of about Jim Carrey doing wacky Jim Carrey shit to be into character or whatever. But half of it is really just about Andy Kaufman and his impact and, and everything like that. So yeah, watched it a few years ago when it came out, definitely worth watching if you are interested in that sort of thing. But um, I think there was a line in there where they talked about Andy Kaufman and they described him. I'm, I, I might be totally like making this shit up, but I think that it was something along the effect of, he had no respect for the medium. And it, it might have been, there might have, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I might be cutting some things out of it, but it, it, he didn't hold the medium sacred. So there wasn't like this, like, well, I'm on a talk show. I have to take this seriously. Mm, mm. And, um, oh, well, we're on television. We have to treat this with respect. Yeah. Like there was, there was none of that with Andy Kaufman. And it feels like, there is something similar, a similar tradition in the clips you showed me of Norm Macdonald, where he's going to use his his seven minutes of primetime television, and five of those minutes he's going to tell a joke that this that like winding meandering joke that was just a, a stupid nonsensical, well, not nonsensical, but like a fucking a meandering joke your grandpa would have told that he heard in the 1930s. Well, and it's. And like where the joke it like really the joke is like too it's it's the the joke is is there's a setup and a punchline and you could tell the joke in five seconds yeah like the job like the moth goes to a doctor and starts telling the doctor about his marital problems and the doctor says well why didn't you go to a psychiatrist and the moth says the light is on the light was on like that's the joke that's the setup in the punchline that's it yeah but Norm Macdonald fills that that in between there. With five minutes, <laughs> like the moth describing his fa- familial issues and how he's falling out of love with his family and his life is just deteriorating around him and, and his relationships with his sons, <laughs> and yes, and 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 and, and it's overwrought detail. <laughs> it's completely unnecessary, but it's that it's the journey, it's the dedication to it is is really what. Right, what it's makes the, it work. It's the commitment that like I have no like I know where I'm going with this. And and I and and uh and I don't and I and I know that the way I I know that the punchline doesn't have to be funny because I'm confident enough in the way that I'm gonna get there. Yeah. In a in a sense. And and I and I'm I'm gonna sit here and enjoy putting you through this. Yeah, that's it's a good way. Totally a part of it too. That's that's a good way to put it. Is I'm I'm gonna <laughs> like He's doing it to you. Yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah. Um but, uh, 
Yeah, so the weird thing about that is like I don't I'm not one to uh, have celebrity deaths affect me. Like there's a whole parasocial thing that is way more prevalent these days, but we've always had it. You know, yeah. as long as we've been as long as we've seen celebrities that we identified with or mm-hmm. related to or whatever or just liked. Um and this no different really, but it affected me more because uh I could see it's like you could just see how different and special he was in terms of comedy. Uh, and it's more that, you know, various things about how he, how he went out. Uh, that is what that is. We've, we've been uh, trying to keep, trying to keep things in line here. We've been recording the first few minutes of this <laughs> podcast to a metronome <laughs> without realizing it. So, well, now know. that we've got that in the back of our heads, we won't need it anymore. Yeah. To yeah. Turn it off. Yeah. We, we've set the tempo, but we were going to get a little more relaxed here. We don't, we're going to, we don't, we're not into quant. We don't like to quantize <laughs> our podcasts. <laughs> quantize our conversation. Yeah. We'd like to let it breathe, man. Like let the human in. <laughs> you want some drag. You want some push and pull. In yeah. There, yeah. You know? want some push and pull, man. Like a little bit, like I'm a little, I'm a little ahead of the beat. You're a little behind the beat, but it's all going to work, man. It's a great, it's a great stew of humanity. Uh-huh. It's organic. <laughs> it's what happens when musicians make music in the room together. You know, it's real, man. Hashtag no quantized podcast. Anyway, though, uh, it it's not so much like there was an emo. Well, there was an emotional reaction, but it wasn't like, oh man, I'm, I miss that person or I'm sad now necessarily. It was more like, damn, something that was so unique is now gone. Yeah, that's, how it felt for that's me. that's a good. That's sort of a good way to sort of say it. It, it I, when I was trying to th- as you were saying that, I was trying to think of the last sort of celebrity death that that really affected me, and I think it was Neil Peart. Mm. Um, not, not because I'm a Neil Peart stan, cause I'm, I'm definitely not. Um, uh, but I mean, as a drummer, most drummers, especially drummers my age and sort of like, probably like my, my age and maybe 10, 10 to 20 years older than me. Right. Um, and maybe younger, I don't know, but everyone sort of goes through a rush phase and, and whatnot. Anyway, Every, everyone worth their salt goes through rush phase. <laughs> um, because they're just so fucking unique and like, oh, here's pop song. Here's like progressive pop songs. You know, like who mm-hmm. the fuck does that? No, exactly. li- literally, no one really before or really since. Yeah. In the way that they did it, but what 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 messed me up about it is kind of different than what you're saying because new, you know, they'd already like, hey, we're not touring anymore. Like you weren't really like waiting for bated breath for the next rush record of what what new shit is neil gonna do now yeah but neil was always very um very intentional with his lifestyle like he you know he had some he had some wine once in a while you know he never like he didn't have a drug dealer on the road he had ways to ship the books that he would buy back home because he would read copious amounts of books on the road. And so I always just imagined like, okay, well, Neil doesn't want to tour anymore, but Neil is going to be this aging statesman right. of, of the field of, of drumming. Like, like Neil, you know, like Neil is, cause he, he had a, he had a, a writing career. He wrote lots of books. I was like, yeah, oh, wow. Neil is just going to be fucking writing books and, and and is going to be around every time they do a Buddy Rich tribute, and he's going to do some interview and commentary, and that that's that like 
that's what I I have like the next 20 years to of like just of Neil being a North Star of like how to fucking do it and right. keep doing it. And it's like, oh no, he had he had some brain cancer tumor shit and he dead and he dead. Right, right. And so it was it was shocking in that sense. Not so much as I just like I wasn't as upset when Vinnie Paul died mm-hmm. because it was like, well, yeah, man, that I I don't know if I've ever seen a interview or video of that dude sober. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm not surprised. You're not surprised. Exactly. exactly. You know, yeah, he li- I mean, I don't know how hard he really lived, but that's the image they put forward, assuming that 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 that, that was his real lifestyle and all that sort of shit. Right, right. It's like, well, yeah, man, you probably you probably were pushing your heart a little a little a little hard there. So, but with Neil, it was like, God damn, man, like, fuck. Um, yeah. So it's surpri- it was very surprising and very jarring in that sense, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, it's, I've become, I think ever since around like 2016, 2015, whenever we started to have these big waves of that generation of musicians and celebrities dying. Right. I've become pretty numb. And become pretty aware of, like you're saying, that weird parasocial relationship. Yeah. And to where, like, I don't want to, oh, I don't, it's like, okay, like, I don't need to over mourn this because that's kind of gross. Um, Because this person didn't know me. I didn't know them. But it's, you know. But also, these are great times to celebrate their their lives and the art totally they created you know like recognize yeah recognize what they did but recognize what they did for you also because even though it is they don't know you and you don't actually know them there is still a connection there that you have made absolutely that affects you know you All right just because it's not reciprocal doesn't yeah. mean that it is not valid or totally. that it's not important and that that person wasn't an inspiration or an impact or an influence or or a, a north star for you in a sense of right. like you know whatever that person might represent to you yeah yeah exactly you know? that just understand that they were those things and not like a friend yeah or, you know? yeah 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 if you mourn a celebrity's death more than you mourn your mother's death then you you're probably fucked up like you probably need to deal with you probably have some shit you, probably you need some, to deal with yeah yeah um but that doesn't mean you shouldn't celebrate the life of a celebrity when they pass celebrate a life of an artist yeah don't have to be a celebrity but an an artist yeah like Uh, i think i can only think of really two like talking about the the past few years and how these waves have happened like that i can only really think of two people who have really affected me and one is norm mm -hmm. that it like really made me stop and like think about that for a while and the other was just a a dude who worked on a video game website that i like a lot wow yeah just like, you know, few thousand people probably, right? But knew, but, knew who that was, and but yeah. you, that was someone who was probably really integrated into your weekly routine or monthly, right? Or, you know, it was like, like somebody I ended up listening to and watching multiple times per week for years, right? Uh, and just like smart, funny, you know, right? So it's a very weird thing. That is, that is, that but, yeah. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't like cry. I didn't. Sure. I did. I didn't like mourn necessarily. It was just an empty hole now. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, and I, and I I guess like I guess that's going to be a unique thing that starts to happen as sort of this whenever this generation's 
this generation of creators start to die. Yeah. Because this generation of content is so, there's so many unique creators. And so whenever that person dies, there's no one else that can do that thing. And it's so, it's so ubiquitous. It's so, uh, people are so prolific. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know who PewDiePie is? I've heard that. I've heard the name and I knew it cost some, cost some shit at some point. He's like a shit bag, but he is like the biggest YouTuber out there. Still? I think so. Wow. Or he's okay. up, he's like top three, something like that. But dude puts out like a video a day maybe or something like that. Like just a ridiculous amount of content basically. Uh -huh. And so all the people who have that in their life for a given number of years. Right. Eventually decades maybe. Right. And as soon as that ends, that's like – who, no. who has had to deal with that before now? Right. That way. Right, right, right. When it wasn't a family member. Right. Right, 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 right. And that's going to be a really unique sort of sociological phenomenon, I think. I think so, yeah. In a, because, you know, like, okay, like, oh, well, Neil Peart died or, or John Bonham died. It's like, oh, the drummer in my band died. The drummer in, like, my favorite rock band died. Yeah. You know, but that was just one of many rock bands that were doing – the rock thing you know like yeah there's no one like led zeppelin no there's no you know what i mean that's of course but um that's not as unique of content i would say i mean maybe john bonham is a bad example um but but like all the actors are acting in the same fucking movies all the youtubers are not all on the same fucking youtube channels <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of cross pollination, but but you know what I mean. Like you're not, like they're not all going through the same film studios. They're not going through the same, you know. Like I, so I'm. What I'm trying to loosely say is that uh -huh. I think that whenever you're making content that's reaching millions and millions and millions and millions of people, like whenever you're, uh, you know, a Brad Pitt or a, or a John Wayne or whatever that it's going to just inherently be um, more generalized. It's going to be more sort of you're, you could be replaceable in a sense because what you're doing is a little more um, palatable mm -hmm. to, to more people. But whenever your audience is like, well, the, these 5,000 weirdos are really into the, to the, the, the thing that I do well that no one else can do really well. Right. Um, that's just going to be a much more personal loss. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, but I, I think a, I think a huge part of it also is the is just the frequency, like the how how often people like that are in our sure. lives these days. Sure, which is just unprecedented. I think that's yeah that that might be the more because like even with that might be the more more pressing even with Neil Peart or or. Uh, Norm McDonald, Norm McDonald, or whoever, like right. they're incredibly unique, very, very unique, like extremely valuable to their arts mm -hmm. in in a lot of ways, and highly respected, highly beloved. Um, but they've only done so many things that have come into your life, and right. maybe maybe you saw an interview here and there. Right, I get what you're saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, like if you would get a new Rush record every four or five years. You'd go see them once every four or five years if you're a fan fan. Right, exactly. You know, you'd you'd see a new Norm special here or there, or whatever. You're not watching this person every week or every day. Right, exactly. 
And so that's going that's that's going to be a felt absence. I think so, yeah. Cuz that, that's what that was for me like uh it's yeah, it, be, it instantly becomes a big hole in your just your routine if not your, you know, actual life. Right. And it, or your you you know your your value system or your sort of, you know, um how you or how you place value on things if not that just simply your routine yeah which would be enough yeah that's why i, I liken it more to like losing a close family member who you lived with and see every day and have right. to you know in in that way it's it's weird because it's it's at once closer and further than you could possibly imagine <laughs> right right that's uh, uh yeah that's i had never thought about it like that before it's a trip. It's weird. That's a trip. Yeah. So. We called it. Let's watch it. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. People are going to be mad when people die. Yeah. People are going to be upset when people die. I hope we don't do too too good a job at this here because I don't want people to, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I, please do not enjoy <laughs> this content. If you do enjoy it, only enjoy it once in a while. Yeah. Don't enjoy it regularly. Once a week maximum. No, no further. Because no I, I don't want you to fill the loss whenever I, I inevitably die um, or Robert inevitably dies. I don't want you to feel that. Um, if one of us goes, we'll have to go. We'll have to, uh, you know, stagger it, so you can keep doing it. If I go, and vice versa. Oh, okay. 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 So as long as we don't both die at the same time, <laughs> long as this building doesn't explode. Yeah. So y'all can keep watching this and listening to this as long as Robert and I both don't sometime in the future die at the same time, because I don't want any of y'all to suffer. <laughs> this is for you guys. Yeah. yeah. So you know. Exactly. Mm. Doing it for the kids. For the kids, always, yeah. So, cool. Yeah. Um, I did something this week, two things this week that I haven't done in uh, almost six or seven weeks, which was I practiced drums and I worked out. Nice. So, because my life has been a bit chaotic since my mother was in the hospital, my mother died and all that stuff. So, uh, and... Like being having a stupid fucking like bipolar brain is really fucking irritating because I practiced yesterday or I had practiced a few days ago and then I practiced yesterday and uh, and then I, I got extremely depressed afterwards. Like I was in a good mood and then I practiced and then I got extremely depressed and lost the rest of the day. I was so depressed and I was like, I, I'm done trying. I I need to, maybe I need to put drums down or maybe I need to like, or, or I need to, I need to approach this instrument from a new angle and, and like, I need to just put all my other goal, all the, the goals I had of because I've been I've been this year I've been trying to really get like my metal chops in order and it's like oh, I'm mm. just throw all that in the garbage I'm not gonna play metal for like two months and I'm just gonna focus on this other stuff and blah 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 the whole thing oh boy yeah and then today yeah. I practiced and I was like oh this blast beat so pretty good <laughs> and it was, I was like god damn it man <laughs> like it was is it's just it, 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 that's just how it be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, you know, like, it's so, everyone, I think everyone goes through that to a certain degree. So I don't yeah. want to, you know, like, oh, well, this is bipolar shit. You know what I mean? But maybe not that severe. I don't know. But, and, 
That's the whole idea is that there are more extremes. So. Yeah, and and that so yeah, I I went from yes, you know, like yesterday being like just totally depressed on the couch and like I can't do anything, blah 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 to then today of of like you know this is going to work out. This is going to be fun. You know, it it's and so if there's any takeaway from that, it's just just keep fucking practicing. <laughs> just <laughs> just show up when you don't want to show up. Yeah, yeah. And and it'll not every day is going to feel good. So when you practice and whatnot, but but that's you know, it feels like I'm slowly I'm slowly like piecing I'm slowly piecing myself back together and remembering the things that I was trying to uh work on and mm-hmm. accomplish before my mom went into the hospital. So I'm slowly slowly getting there but you know it's a step forward it was like a stumbly fucking bumbly ungraceful step but it was still a step like a willy wonka walking (laughs) out of the red carpet kind of step yeah 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 okay so it got got you there though it did it got yeah so got me somewhere i didn't i didn't break down my fucking because i thought about i'm gonna break down my metal kit and i'm gonna put it in the fucking corner and i'm just gonna work on jazz chops for two months or some shit like that Man, it's still there. You can't see it, but it's there. <laughs> see it. So, but anyway, so uh, I guess we'll get into what we planned on talking about. Yeah, the uh, topic du jour. Yeah, the topic of the day. So, um, Ed's little ponytail thing. <laughs> <laughs> so when we did the second episode. Or maybe the third episode. Yeah, the third one where we sort of went back into what music we were listening to. What I was calling the early agency period when we started to choose what we wanted to listen to, not just what we what our parents were listening to that we caught on to. Yeah. What we were around. But it's like, I want to listen to this. So one of the things that I was really big into during that period was the live record Throwing Copper because I saw them I saw them perform I Alone on Woodstock 94 mm-hmm. and I fucking loved it. I bought the record at the Crosby Walmart. Yeah. And and I listened to that record so much as a kid that my mom lied to me about how CDs worked. Because she said, if you keep listening to that, you're going to wear it out. Because <laughs> she was just, she had just had enough. She she didn't, she didn't mind it. She's like, this is fine. But she had just had enough. Well, she knew that that threat would, would hold water because of how cassette tapes worked. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Oh, good. Um, I guess, and, I guess records probably wear out too, huh? I don't have enough experience. Not with LPs, really. Do they not? Not really. You know, well, well, records. That is how they're built. I know, but records don't age. Like they don't. They won't naturally deteriorate. Well, whereas CDs will. Right, but I, I'm thinking like actually the same way that cassettes do, which they from wear, wear and tear. Wear and tear. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't know. either. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, CDs do have like. There is disc rot. That is a thing. Right. So Right. Like you could have, you know, like I don't know what it is, but it also depends on the the printing process that they use and they whether it was duplication or replication. Mm-hmm. Uh so 
But anyway, but yeah, like your CDs, you just burn like that. You are, I don't know if anyone does that anymore, but when, when it was a thing, yeah, like those, the information on those might already be fucking gone. <laughs> right. Um, but the ones you buy, you know, that are mass produced, those will be there for a while, but not forever. Yeah. Whereas the vinyl will be there. But, uh, but anyway, so in the process of that, I, I, I went back and I listened to Throwing Copper and I was like, God damn, this record is still fucking amazing. And so it reminded me of how much I loved the band live. And, and I, and I wanted to kind of like talk about them and go into some things. So, I mean, just to, just to start, you have a whole opinion. You have a whole trunk full of opinions on live that I, that I quite don't, but yeah, here we go. Bust out the manifesto. So the Kowalczyk manifesto. What I did was I went and I listened to their entire catalog. Which is something that I have never done until the closest I've ever come is today. And I am sorry. <laughs> I, I, and so, and I made notes as I was going through it, listening to their catalog and I made 16 pages of notes. So, um, so yeah, um, fuck man, this is, their, their career is so fucking weird. It is so fucking weird and I'm not quite really sure how to get into it. Um, I, I agree with that, fa- that statement. Yeah. So. Fuck, man. Okay, so <clears throat> I guess maybe what I really want to what I what I want to say is I want to I want to first talk about I want to talk about throwing copper, and I want to talk about distance to here because those are two of my favorite albums of all time. Period. I ha- I have all of them here. <laughs> They're all here. Okay, just so you know. The gang's all here. The gang's all here. Do you hear that? Do you hear that sound? Yeah, that's that's the that's the feeble clunking of physical media. So for oh, I forgot this had the red thing. Yeah, back whenever people put a whole lot of fucking thought into the packaging and shit. Yeah, and so we're gonna so you know we have throwing copper and distance to here, and then we have the rest. Which and then we have the the peanut gallery over there. Yeah, actually, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna the put shit pile. I'm gonna put secret samadhi, and I'll put mental jewelry up here too. And we're gonna put these other guys here in the back. <laughs> and so I guess like what I want to say is that throwing copper and distance to here, they're two of my absolute favorite records for different reasons. Um, throwing copper, it. There was something that I related to so hard about it when I was listening to it because, and I think that is sort of the intention that they had when they wrote the record because they sort of, and they intentionally went back to their hometown and tried to write about their experiences or write about the people in their hometown. They're from like Virginia or something? Pennsylvania. Okay, okay. And so in Throwing Copper... You know, you have songs like Shit Town and like the dam at Otter Creek. So like in and so there's all this imagery, there's all these stories and all this sort of stuff. And so I think it it just really resonates, you know, like 
and uh, you know, there's a song, The Waitress. And so the, it just, it felt like he, it felt like that album took scenes, both literal and, and, and metaphorical from the life of living in a small town. Yeah. And so it, it, it tapped into that sort of consciousness in a certain way. And so I, that just meant a lot to me as a kid. I don't know. And it was this, it was aggressive, but it was still, it still had this, it still had, I, I don't really know how to describe it, that, that album specifically, but it's just, it, every fucking note on it is good. It's still good. It holds up. I still love it. Um, yeah. it's a, it's a fantastic fucking album. And, and I'm, and I might, I might talk a little bit more about it in depth at some point or, or, you know, in a minute and then distance to hear. So secret Samadhi is, is a mixed fucking bag. We'll, we'll talk about that bullshit in a minute. Um, yeah, but distance to hear, I love that album more than I love throwing copper. It is a very, very important, very, 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 very special album to me. And, and I, and I know that not everyone feels that way. <laughs> and so, but they just haven't heard the dolphins cry. <clears throat> I love that song and I can defend that song. You, you brought your thesis statement. to I, I, ha- I have, I have them here. And, <laughs> and so I guess I, I guess what, what I'm really just trying to establish is that all of the shit talking that I am going, that is going to ensue. This is really coming from a place of love. I, I, <laughs> I am a, I am a legitimate fan of of the band and and I was legitimately confused by their fifth album but I bought it anyway titled V5 yeah that's what I said cuz it's five album and and then even as confused as I was about 5 I bought the next one which was I was underwhelmed by, but I still listen to it. I still know all the songs. Birds of Prey. And I still bought the next one when it came out because I was loyal. And, and, I, and I know all the songs on songs from Black Mountain as well. And that is one of the rest, worst records ever made. I still know them all. But um, so I, I'm just, I, just, I just want you all to know. <laughs> <laughs> that that this is this is a this is a place of love. This ain't just blind hating. Yeah, I didn't just like I'm gonna pick on I'm gonna pick on Ed and his ponytail. That's not where this is. That's not where this is coming. No, from. No, that's not where this is coming from for you. This is where I'm coming from uh, <laughs> in this discussion. Uh, this white discussion. This white this white <laughs> cult co- common discussion. So, so so yeah. Um, this is gonna be a little bit all over the place, but if you've ever if you've ever liked anything that Live has ever done, and then were confused or disappointed by other things that they've done, this this is gonna be a good space for you. Yeah. Or if you uh, just really don't fucking like them at all, this is probably gonna also be. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, uh... If you're if you are a big fan of of one Ed Kowalczyk and you're a total. Ed Kowalczyk stand <laughs> and you think that he's done no wrong, this is not gonna be You're gonna have a bad time. Yeah. So uh. so anyway, um I when I was trying it was very challenging to sort of put a playlist together for this because 
it's really difficult. It's easy to put a playlist together of, hey, here's some of my, here's some music I really, really like. And it's really difficult to put a playlist together that sort of has moment it's 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 like okay well this song is important because it shows that earlier in they in their career they could do this thing right and then later that they couldn't so this song is important this is one of my favorite songs ever written and then this is one of the worst songs i've ever fucking heard and and to put that all together it's it it felt very it was very weird and I was very concerned once I started to send it to Robert because I was like I can't if <laughs> so to be clear you put you put together a giant mega master playlist of live because I was like I wanted because part of it was was I was really torn between this idea of I need to share my pain with Robert <laughs> I need him to. I need him to be burdened with what I have burdened myself with. And I need to him, him to experience this, this hope and, and joy and, and betrayal and confusion. It's been too many long years down in this hole. I need to, I need to drag someone down with, I need to, to, to strap this boulder to someone else's leg. And, and so part of it was torn by that. And then I, and then the other side of it, I was torn by my desire to maintain the friendship that I have with Robert. So I was, I, I, I really, and so I just ended up, I, I made, I made the master journey playlist. And then I split that playlist into two and like, here's the good stuff and here's the bad stuff. And then I sent him my notes and I was like, navigate this. However you see fit. I'm sorry. I'm glad you sent those two playlists so soon after, because I was in the process of breaking my phone in half over my knee uh, out of sheer rage, shaking with with anger. Yeah, so. we, if if any of y'all know Robert, y'all know how angry of a person he's furious. He is, yeah. If you if you listen to all Severed's music, that was all like all the rage in that music is all Robert. I'm so mad. He would he would hit me if I didn't sing angrily enough. Uh, <laughs> he was the real puppet master there. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, so yeah, let, let me, let me toss the, toss the baton to you. So, um, so how much of this did you subject yourself to? So I guess, first of all, I can, I can say my sort of history here, uh, which is that I owned these three albums. I owned Mental Jewelry, the first album, Throwing Copper, the second album, and Secret Samadhi, the third album. Um, and I really only listened to like the singles for the most part. Mm -hmm. I was like, why I got those albums? Because I like those singles so much. Um, and after, sort of like you said, Secret Samadhi, very mixed bag. And so once I encountered and consumed what I wanted to off of that and experienced the stuff that I didn't really get into, that was kind of it for me with live. Um, and that's kind of where I stopped. Uh, of my own volition mm -hmm. until today. Um, so... I went through and listened to, there are two playlists. There's the, what, Live did a bad, yeah, li Live yeah, did a good. Yeah, Live, you did a bad. There you go. And Live, <laughs> you did a good. Uh, pretty self-explanatory uh, subject matter there. And so I went through and listened to most of the entirety of them. There were one or two places I skipped around, like things I just already had heard and knew. Cool. Um, but there were one or two things that I had already heard and 
and already knew that I listened to again, specifically, like Rattlesnake on Secret Samadhi, which is, I remember being into the vibe of that song a lot back in the day and thinking this is a, this is one of the songs in this album that I like and really digging in and listening to the lyrics today. Wow. I was, I had the wrong opinion back then. Opinions can't be wrong, but I had the wrong one. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to save my rattlesnake bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> save that rattlesnake bite. Yeah. Till yeah. Later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but, but so suffice I, it to say that that is a very, very, uh, I, I, I think, I don't know how someone could not have that interpretation of that song of like, this is cool. Oh, it's, that's Lucchini's juice. Is it? Yes. Okay. All right. Keep going. Yeah. Rattlesnake is, it's a crazy, crazy. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, okay. but yeah, the, anyway, that was, that was kind of where I stopped with live and I always liked a lot of their stuff uh for the most part but past that oh you're checking it out i am okay yeah okay um i did i i do i do mix those two songs up often that's fair um, I, I mean a lot of the stuff on that album kind of runs together in really weird does, ways it really does yeah. uh, so much like my when we did the early agency playlist mm -hmm. a lot of that came from mtv for me right similarly a lot of what I enjoyed and knew from, of live was from MTV and the radio also. Right. Uh, but it, it was the singles and it was the videos. The videos were a big part of MTV. Like live was all over the fucking place. And that's something I'm, that might be another reason why I am able to be such a fan of theirs is because I've never seen a single live music that video. That is so interesting. Oh man. Because they're generally pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Except when they get really weird and bad, um, <laughs> but like it was one of those things where like MTV would would pretty regularly do I don't know like once weekly, uh, once daily after a certain point they do their '90s roundup all this bullshit and uh, uh, lightning crashes would always be like number four, number three. It was fucking up. There was a huge video. Right. What I didn't know until today according to Wikipedia, is that that song wasn't even released as a single in this country. Right. That is fucking wild. Yeah. So I came across this video, this YouTube video, that was uh, sort of an overview or like whatever happened to live in it. And it was like a real quick, like 15 minute. I didn't get to that either. Hit Hitting the high, yeah, high yeah. marks of it. So apparently someone synced up footage after the Oklahoma bombing. Yes. With that. And that, that was and they, a And they, they interspersed like... Uh, sound bites of yeah uh, right Bush I guess or somebody yeah uh, uh, and so so yeah like that and sort um, of like ambulance sirens and it's like very atmospheric diegetic things like if you were at the scene maybe right. you would have heard these things I don't right know. and then there was another interesting bit in that in that overview where they talk about how there was a there was a a certain push with this record that they felt. That like radio stations had been felt pressured to play like Operation Spirit off of the the single off of the first record, and so there was a lot of pushback against the band. So they didn't. So for the second record, they didn't focus on. They focused on like college radio, and the first single was selling the drama, which is a very weird 
there's plenty there's plenty of obvious radio friendly singles on throwing copper you know like i, I alone is a good one um yeah. and uh you know all over you all over you yeah and but yeah but they they led with selling the drama trying to sort of hey these guys are artists right like these aren't this isn't just like a philosophy student reject indie rem wannabe band this is and so so do uh, do you associate live with rem do you equate them to i some extent I don't have a real depth of knowledge on REM, but whenever I did listen to the first record, you know, um, and I listened to like Pain Lies by the Riverside, that was yeah. my little note. I was like, REM vibes. Interesting. And and so there, do, do you? Not at all. Not even in the slightest. Yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people do, but they were, they, they were very influenced by REM. And they, you know, they were very vocal about it. And so oh, I think okay. that I, I watched, because I'm going to talk so much shit about Ed, I wanted to watch an interview of him to like, okay, maybe I'm, you know, may, let me hear him speak for himself and mm -hmm. let me see if this is going to be justified. <clears throat> it's totally going to be justified, y'all. Uh, <laughs> the shit talking is going to be talking is, yeah, yeah. Is gonna be justified. Uh, but he talked about as a front man wanting to take parts of Bono, Michael Stipe, Peter Gabriel, and Adash of Perry Farrell. And that was his what he wanted his persona to be. Yeah, I think he kind of nailed it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this is on purpose, it, yeah. I mean, I, everything up until you said Perry Farrell, I was like, okay, I can see how you get... Oh, Perry Farrell a little bit in there. Okay. I see who... I, oh, Ed Kowalczyk. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, got you. So, so there's a... So it's intentional, you know? Oh man, that's so fucking weird. Um, so, so, but yeah, so they were trying to sort of, and I, I think early on in their career, they were really struggling to. They wanted the rep of REM, but they wanted the, they wanted the the, the recognition of U two. Is is almost sort of how it feels huh. because U two would play stadiums and yeah. you know and you two had these anthems rem didn't really have anthems and but they were different from record to you know like they had yeah. a different identity on each record and all this sort of stuff you know and so they they were trying to be more that while still you know being a u2 for the 90s so it was like the i guess I man i guess u2 kind of did that too but it was like the musical reputation of rem yes okay like the artistic reputation of Got like it. where you're, where like other, you're like, oh, 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 those are those guys are artists, right? Okay, when you said that, I was like the because I guess by like the early to mid '90s, they sort of became the uh, weird like elder statesman of like college radio from the '80s. Yes, like respected and sort of, yeah, right. Okay, right. I got you. Um, and 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 again, like the the indie rock, like these threads and and you know the. The, I don't, these aren't, I'm not super comfortable. So if I, if I, you know, if I say something that's like really, really out of turn or not quite right, I apologize in advance. Just call me out on it and I'll, and I'll apologize explicitly. Drop some hate in the comments there. Please, please <laughs> use a, use an umbrella emoji. Um, so, but, but, so you were talking, so you were talking about how you kind of, 
dropped off after Secret Samadhi with your sort of experience of them. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, I think that is what... I think that's... I think that's most people's experience of live is they... You know, maybe they heard a song off. They maybe they heard like "Pain Lies by the Riverside" or "Operation Prelude." That's cool because those were on the radio quite a bit, right? Yeah. And then throwing copy, they're like this is fucking amazing. Yeah. And then they got secrets to mind. They're like, "That was," <clears throat> hmm. And then they heard the single for "Dolphins Cry," and they're like, "I don't need that." Pretty much. And 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 <laughs> and they were and they were done after that. And uh, so, and, you know, I'm. I'll go ahead and say I don't think "Dolphins Cry" is a bad song, and I don't think I even thought that it was a bad song at the time. It was just overplayed all the hell. I, it was on the radio constantly, right? And I mean, it, it's got a corny, smuggy ass fucking vibe to it. I love the song, and I'm and I will. Def- I'm going to defend I, the song. I'm not saying it's bad. I don't like it, <laughs> but I'm not saying it's a bad song, right? And I, and that that's that's going to be a that's going to be a theme <laughs> because. I totally understand how people could not like the album Distance to Hear. Mm. I don't expect people to like that, everyone to like that album, to love that album the way that I love that album. But I feel like the quality of it is undeniable. Mm. And, And that is not something you can say about their output with Ed after that album. So I think that makes sense. Um, having heard what I've heard. Yeah. You've seen the things that, that we've seen. Right. And so <clears throat> so yeah. Um so as I was going through mental jewelry, the thing that really stuck out to me about that album. So so now now I'm just I'm just going to dive in and I'm going to I'm going to go we're going to we're going to we're going to go through all of them here. Go for it. And we're going to see where that fucking takes us. So I don't think that so Mental Jewelry to me very much sounds like a band like it sounds like a band. Like it all the song like the songs are are very unique and different. Like each song feels very different and it really has that feel that, oh, well, someone came into the, someone came into the practice room, someone came into the garage and they had a cool guitar thing or they had a cool drum thing. And it was like, okay, well, cool. Well, we can write a song about that. We, or we can write a song around that, that cool little drum hook or that cool little guitar hook or that bass hook or that it really had that feel Mm -hmm. to it. It was very organic and, you know. And so those first three songs on the record, Pain Lies by the Riverside, Operation Spirit, Beauty of Grey, they're very, very different. <laughs> and, you know, and especially like Beauty of Grey. That is a, you know, like, gah, 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 gah. that's a totally weird feel mm. amongst what they would do later and all that sort of stuff. And then also what is really striking to me about that album is that they are so intentionally it, it you really feel them fighting really hard lyrically to not write about quote unquote normal stuff hmm 
Like they are really trying to write philosophical lyrics. They're really trying to write, like they're really, they're like, we're not going to write a fucking love song. It feels very much like that to me. You know, where you have like, you have songs like Beauty of the Grey, um, where, yeah, let me see if I can, like, um, this is not a black and white world to be alive. I say the colors must swirl. And I believe that maybe today we will all get to appreciate the beauty of gray. And so the whole, like, what a weird, hard thing to even attempt to write a song about that's against duality is essentially what it is. Like black and white, that's, that's, not, that's not real. That's a construct. You know, there's shades to all this. And it's because he was really influenced by Krishnamurti. Um, and and talking about duality not being a thing is is one of his big trips, mm. and so so yeah, like that that was something that was really really stuck out and was really moving to me, and it makes what they did later on so goddamn egregious to me. <clears throat> anyway, so so yeah, so that's sort of that's sort of like my 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 hot take on mental jewelry. It's like it's 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 like that's a band writing music together in the fucking room and a band really trying to write unique lyrics. Gotcha. I, I think it's interesting that you d think that Operation Spirit and Pain Lies on the Riverside sound very different. I, I you're, yeah, I, I, those two songs sound. Okay. Sound similar. And I don't, I think that I might not the, have even have put those, I think I only might have put one of them on the playlist. I think you did, yeah. Because I think it is this this other song, maybe this "Brothers Unaware," that sounds really different that I might have put on there. Because whenever I, whenever yes, I, yes, yes, because those two songs do, those two songs do blend together, yeah, for sure. But but "Brothers Unaware," that one sounds very different. Gotcha. So and again, like that's that might be like, you know, like there's all this fucking love everybody lyrics. <laughs> in in fucking brothers unaware um yeah so many people i know only a few yes i may say that i love this man and that and that man but what keeps me from loving you date of birth geography color of my skin ideology you got 10 fingers two legs one nose like me just like me and it's as simple as that you see you know da 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 and it's like i mean yeah there's there's like reductionist unity bullshit in there but he's trying really, really hard to write a song. And he's like 20 mm. at this time, trying really, really hard to write a song about love everybody no matter what. And that's really admirable to sure. me for a 20-year-old. Sure. And, Definitely. You know, and then like the other thing, like Operation Spirit, the tyranny of tradition, you know, he's it's all this like I heard a lot of talk about Jesus a man of love, man of strength, but what but what a man was 2000 years ago means nothing to me today. Right. And that's that that's that's really funny coming, you know, whenever 20 years later he was going to release a pseudo middle of the road praise and worship record because he became a born again Christian. Well, a man a man grows, as they say. Uh, and um, <laughs> So this is what happens whenever you're like, whenever you get into philosophy and you 
stop at Krishnamurti and you don't go to college. Like, that's what fucking happens. Because you're like, no, I read one of them. I get all of the Easter traditions now. I read one book. I don't need to read anymore. Uh, I haven't read a lot of the lyrics. To the, I haven't read a lot of these lyrics at all, really. But on Mental Jewelry, do you get the sense that most of the songs are reflective of his place in like where he was with the philosophy at the time? Definitely. And and I and it's been explicit. These are things he's explicitly stated in interviews. Okay. And and he's they they've painted he's painted a picture that sort of all of the songs kind of come from him, like all the songs start with him in an acoustic guitar ah. kind of vibe, um, which will come up later in their very very messy nasty breakup. I don't know if you read anything about I didn't. that. Oh boy, I, I figured you have a whole thing. So oh man, it's gross. <laughs> Just a Herculean case of lead singer disease that Ed came down with. Oof. Um, but yeah, so so the thing that strikes me so much about mental jewelry is is that is like is it's trying very it's very much in this band vibe and it's very and it's it's like, hey, we're working really, really hard to not write stock ass songs, you know. And that's very admirable, sure, to me. You know what I mean. So, and then, uh, and then, throwing copper, which is one of the greatest records ever made, as far as I'm concerned. Um, some things I wanted to throw out there. Um, so, if you listen to the dam at Otter Creek, the first track on the record. So, one of the things that makes live an, an amazing band is Chad fucking Gracie on the drums, because I don't know if anyone plays that aggressively within the song as well as he does he's he's like dave grohl but in just a band that's less cool i i i think that like his drumming on these records is is that good to me and so cool. but there is a it's around the 345 mark on that song okay and because it's it's like doing this like like that kind of thing. And he just goes and does straight eighth notes on a fucking China symbol. Like this is like you listen to it and it, and it takes a song and it just takes it like into the fucking next level of fucking intensity. Right. Go listen to that, that three forty five on that on damn it. Otter Creek. And mm. I can just imagine him fucking having to fight to keep that in keep there, that in there. Yeah, yeah. you know, because that is, and I don't know. I don't. I don't know. That's what I fucking imagine happening because there's just no way that that you would have been able in 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 the musical climate that was alt rock or whatever. Just even five years later, maybe even two, you would not have you would not have been able to get away with doing that as a drummer. You certainly would not have been able to do get away with doing using a China symbol at fucking all in the fucking two thousands. You know, in the late nineties and the two thousands in mm. a, in the fucking modern rock studio scene like they i'm serious they would take you like if you went into a session like they would you would like take that down ross robinson would come in and throw that shit across the room that he wouldn't make it singles you know i mean y'all want a single you say fuck that fuck that right <laughs> sorry um ross robinson didn't produce that corn record you can't blame him for that one yeah. um but yeah but so and, and I mean, in, in that aggression, that sort of soulful aggression that Chad Gracie is able to push through the drums carries on through distance to here. 
not really there so much after that mm. until until you get to the record they did without Ed into 2014. Um, but yeah, like, you know, and again, um, I guess may- maybe it's selling. Yeah, it was selling the drama that was on um, the Woodstock, Woodstock 94. Yeah. And so go watch that footage because Chad Gracie, when he's playing, when he gets to the chorus, he's, his elbows like above his fucking ear. You know, while he's fucking whipping the shit out of the floor, Tom, like he looks he looks like he's got like a backwards baseball cap. He looks like he got lost. Like he looks like he is. He looks like he's a baseball player. that got lost. And he was like, well, I guess I'll just hit these fucking drums. You know, it's just it's so physical, but so musical at mm. the same time. And and so. uh So, yeah. And then an- another one I want to sort of point out another few I wanted to point out on that. um album is a so the song stage and so that is like sort of a meta song a little bit it feels like a little bit of a meta song because or maybe he's talking about another rock star and fucking that small ass pennsylvania town but this would this song there's a sort of a groundedness to it and how he's referring to never wanting to give up the stage and this relationship sort of failing, maybe not failing because of someone going to be a rock star kind of thing. And there's a sort of grounded humility to this that is very different than some of the lyrics on five. Mm, yeah. And yeah. that you're going to, he- that, that we're going to talk about. So, right. Um, and then, and then in the song pillar of Davidson, there is some Christian imagery there too but it's not crazy explicit. It's sort of subjective, you know? And cause there's totally really great. There's, there's ways to do that without, without being so blatant and over the head with it. And I feel like that song is a good example of that. Um, I also read somewhere talking about his lyrical writing process and that he said that the way that he writes lyrics um, was now this is what someone else said someone else had heard this in an interview so I don't have like a direct source of this was that you know like and I mean and, uh, lots of people do this like they, they have the chords they have the song and they just start like mumbling they start mumbling nonsense right and you just get like a you get sort of a a, a rough framework for how you want to sing thing and you fill in words right later right and that that's kind of his approach and that he doesn't like to pin his songs down pin the meaning of his songs down he likes to let people find their own meaning in them and this kind of shit right right and so um but i've also heard him say in the in the interview that i watched that he talks so much he he does reference him spending a lot of time to get the lyrics just right so this is not um this is not the sort of I heard someone once describe Anthony Kiedis's lyrics as sort of Californication onward, as if he wrote them on a hotel, on like a restaurant napkin and never edited them. Okay. I could see that. Yeah, me too. And I'm like, I dig it, but that works for their style because that really red hot chili pepper lyrics, Californication forward do really feel like abstract stream of conscious imagery. And it works on that level. It's not flipping back and forth. You know what I mean? And so Ed, um, so Ed talked about, so, so he might have 
had some random shit fall out of his mouth, but he 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 can't pass the buck on this. Okay, he has to take responsibility for these lyrics <laughs> that are fixing to come up on Secret Samadhi. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So anyway, yeah. So next. <laughs> well, uh, one more thing before that is because this is easily the, the album that I have the most. Uh, uh, Yes, please. Um, experience with and love for also just throwing cover, like you said, amazing album. It's so fucking good. Uh, it's really unique too. It really is, and like this early live stuff. It, to me, there's like no other band that was doing it like that, and kind of no other band that did that since then. Uh, maybe there was a reason behind that. I don't know. Um, but the again, the, like the videos were a big part of this for me, and. Uh, the video for if you've never seen them, I guess it's really interesting. Like the video for I Alone is the band in like sort of a white, empty studio space with like a couple of background elements. Like they started to set up a play set, like a set for a play, mm-hmm. a theater play, and then didn't finish it. Like there's like an old rotten tree behind them, and that's kind of it. And it's damn near a single camera affair. Yeah. With just a camera and these, the video starts and Ed is in the camera right here and he's squeezing his face and the whole rest of the video is just Ed getting up in the camera and then getting back and the whole band's playing and then it's it's almost a f- static shot the entire time. It's really fucking weird. Videos are not like that and every once in a while there'll be like a close up of somebody playing something or whatever and uh, there's no drums because they would need a drum set. And so the drummer is just kind of like walking around dancing with Ed, kind of singing a little bit too. He's got a candle at some point. He's like looking creepy. It's, the, it's a fucking strange video. And Ed's got his little ponytail thing. And mm-hmm. he's jumping around and shit. Very strange. Anyway, it's a good video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really weird. Lightning Crashes, uh, one of the most famous videos, period, I think, especially from the 90s. I've never seen it. It's a beautiful video. It's actually a really beautiful video. Beautifully shot for it was 1994. That sounds right, and I think it came out the same year. Um, but it's like it's filmed in this old house apparently in like LA, but it looks like an old turn of the century, uh, like just wood old fucking house. And thematically, the song is about like, uh, you know, life transference from death to like a new life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. because of the video, a lot of people think that it's about uh, a woman giving birth and her dying in childbirth. Right. And that is not what it's about. Right. Um, but the video has this explicit imagery that sort of lends itself to that. Sure. But they use these they use these uh, effects in the video where it's like the band is kind of superimposed over the place that they're in, which is just really cool, like ghosty effect. And they're mm. like people standing around and they're not really there and stuff happens and they're like books and it's it's a fucking beautiful video really yeah this video was directed by jake scott who is ridley scott's son okay who just did like a shitload of really good videos okay just a strange fact that is i I don't know um yeah uh i can't remember the video for selling the drama i think there was one um but those two specifically really stand out. Uh, yeah, cool video. Go watch it sometime. Yeah, uh, lightning crashes specifically. But 
And and so I think that that I think that that sort of is gonna is is a very important element as to I think the average person's perception of the band live that they were pushed really hard on MTV. They really and, were. And so everyone knew them. And so whenever you're a band that's pushed that hard, it it fucks with your credibility a bit. And so I think that Yeah. I think that once once they you know, it don't it was only going to take one misstep. And they were going to lose everyone, you know, um, because a band it's it's like, oh, it's like why it was so much fun to hate on Nickelback for so long because they were pushed. So, you know, everyone, yeah, whether you wanted to or not, you were going to hear the new Nickelback song. Everyone looked at that photograph. Every fucking one. Yeah. And um, and so uh, uh, you saying that about Tony Scott. Uh, reminded me of something interesting I wanted to bring up. So there's something that all of, in my opinion, the good, the the live wow. records that have undeniably good quality to them, there there's something they all have in common. And that is that they were, and so that it's four. It's only four records, four of their entire career. Which ones? Um, Mental jewelry, throwing copper, distance to here, and uh, the turn, the one they did in 2014 without Ed. Mm. What they all have in common is that they were all produced by Jerry Harrison. Jerry Harrison was in the band The Talking Heads. He did not produce Secret Samadhi. For whatever reason. Which we are now, which we have now arrived at. So I found out something very interesting about Secret Samadhi. Like, see, when, yeah, maybe because he was working with the Verve Pipe oh, for man. villains. Villains, yeah. Whenever, uh, around the time that he would have needed to fly to Jamaica where they wrote and recorded the album. Huh. So. Yeah, it doesn't didn't really come through. I'm gonna say. So I was watching this fucking interview from it's like a thirty minute interview from two thousand four. This was on the uh, the Awake DVD, which is a live DVD they put out, which I own. And I was watching this interview, and some things that struck me. There were several things, and I'm I'm gonna go back and forth between this interview and some things that struck me as weird, but speaking specifically to the making of this record. So he's sort of talking about this time period as like, we were just a bunch of kids, like just caught up, you know, we were just ecstatic in the music and we would just sort of pick our heads up once in a while and notice that we were on the cover of magazines and that we were this and that we were like sort of acting like they were just a bunch of kids and like, just sort of like unaware of this. But you recorded an album in fucking Jamaica. <laughs> like you booked a flight, you rented a house in another fucking country on, on the island to go like that is not that's not that's a lot of fucking money, dude. That's a lot. And that's not like that would be plenty of money right now to do that shit in like 1995. 
to yeah. get studio equipment to fucking Jamaica. Anyway, um, not not that not that there wasn't studio j- equipment in Jamaica. I'm just the 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 equipment you needed to make a, a record took up a lot more space. So moving it from place to place was going to be more expensive and take up more space. And I'm not right. like Jamaica has a very long and rich musical history. Of course, I'm not. Yeah, that's not the thing I'm trying to say. Um, we're, we're not saying that live built Jamaica's musical <laughs> industry. <laughs> We're not saying that they were nothing before Secret Salani. We're not saying that Dub spawned from Ed Kowalczyk. And you know, it's like Dub 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 Dub. Right? That's not where it came from. Shit. Well, shit, man. <laughs> Convincing of, argument, honestly. Son of a bitch. Uh. So so yeah. So there's this really weird and and, and so and then in another interview, the the guitarist talked about how that. You know, that Throwing Copper was a record about, you know, referencing them, how they grew up and who they were. And that by the time they got to Secret Samadhi, they couldn't, they were different people. And they almost couldn't relate to the people that wrote Throwing Copper because the people who wrote Secret Samadhi were people who had toured all over the world and played in front of hundreds of thousands of people and da 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 da. So it was really Mm. like it, the way it reads to me is just peak arrogance. Just, you know, like, um, and I mean, maybe it didn't, maybe it wasn't, it didn't mean to come off that way, but, or it wasn't intended to come off that way, but we're not talking like 10 years in between these records. Like, literally it's like, two years. It's like two. And this is literally the exact opposite of what Ed just got done saying, mm-hmm. by the way. <laughs> right, right, right. And there is, there's just a smugness, like, cause I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, quote things that ed says and things like that and and there is there's a smugness about the way that he speaks that i cannot replicate <laughs> i i'd have to really work on it it's something really it's a real special thing what is like audio interviews you listen to or do you just read these it's or? a video video oh interview. even better okay, I'll video interview okay yeah yeah, yeah 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 so anyway so all right so secret smile the record so the vibe on this so here's Here's like my notes about it. I'm like Secret Samadhi, Rattlesnake, and I am I'm already a fan of the song. I already know the song. I already like it, and I'm like, all right. <sighs> Word salad from the beginning. What the fuck is going on in this verse? Chorus is great, and the music overall rips. But <sighs> right, the verse of this fucking song, right? It's just it's garbage. It's so, word salad. So I remember whenever I first heard the song. Whenever I kind of liked this song back in the day. I just remember regarding it as sort of live deciding to be goofy for a little bit. That's how they talk about it a little bit. They talk about like it was, you know, we really went out there and it was really weird. And it's, you know, we write this angry, dark record, even though we're in Jamaica and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But having experienced some of the later stuff, that it that cannot be true. It, it is a turning point, if anything. So, so... I have a theory about this song. Okay. So my theory is that whereas on Throwing Copper and there's all this romanticizing, not not romanticizing, but um, a, there's a very grounded, empathetic, maybe somewhat condescending at times. Sure. Look at the, t- at the place you grew up in. 
but 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 never intentionally condescending, never angry. It's it's you know like waitress is like, come on baby, leave some change behind. She was a bitch. I don't care. She wore a funky beret in her hair. She brought our food out on time. Everybody deserves some change. Everybody's worth some fucking change. You know. I feel like this song is simplistic lyrically on purpose because I think that it's a meta way of him trying to talk about how how people who do these things are themselves simplistic. I could see that. And I think that this is an angry song about living in a small town. And you know, and yeah, so Okay. I I can I can actually see that. You know, like, let's go hang out in a mall or a morgue, a smorgasbord, because that rhymes with morgue. You, let's go hang out in a church. We'll go find Lurch. That doesn't even make sense. It, it, that's exactly... I got through that first verse earlier, and it really <sighs> just dawned on me again. Like, I I kind of viewed this back in the day as them just kind of being flippant and, and irreverent. Yes, but also it doesn't make any none of it makes any sense. It doesn't really hold water. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. Right, right. And and um, you know, like why even record the song if you're going to do that? Right. Is it money? Is it fame? What's in a name? Shame? Is it money? <laughs> is it fame? Or, or were they always, always this lame? That's that's exactly, you know what I mean? Like he's and so this is this is someone who is talking about not being able to relate to the fucking peons of his town. And then being mad at them. And, and, you know, crazy, crazy mixed up town. It's literally right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's the rattlesnake I fear. And I, in you know. In another place in another time. I'd be driving trucks, my dear. I'd be skinning hunted deer. So <clears throat> if we take these lyrics for what they're worth and not just write them off as word salad. um, Then, you know, you, you talk about fearing the rattlesnake. You're saying these people are superstitious. You could be. That could be the the thing you're trying to connect there. Um, you're trying to sort of, in another place in another time, say like, oh, well, I would be, I would still be here. I mm -hmm. would be one of you. And what would I be doing? I would be driving trucks because I'm that lame. If I'm here, I would be lame enough to be driving trucks. Because if you drive trucks for a living, you're clearly not a sophisticated person or whatever. You're less valuable as a human if you drive trucks. Yeah, um, it feels or, like that's what he's getting at. Or if you fucking hunt deer. And so, and the reason this makes me mad is because there's a piece, there's a part of me in another place at another time that would have written this exact kind of fucking song. <laughs> and that's really why I'm so mad at Ed because there's, there's, because I fell for it. Like I fall for all the fucking philosophy student, love everybody, you know, like just, shallow Eastern mysticism bullshit. <laughs> I, I fell for all of it. I love all that shit. You this know, it's literally the meme of you being personally attacked. Yes. <laughs> this is what this this is. is. Yeah. 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 And so I am, <laughs> uh, that's why I, I am, I am going to fuck you up. Ed. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, like casting yourself as this enlightened outsider, criticizing basic people in their perceptions. But meanwhile, you know, you're, you, it's so crazy because meanwhile, what does he do later on? He goes down this path of making some of the most generic contrived fucking music that has ever been made. <clears throat> anyway, what does go find lurch mean? What the <laughs> fuck does that mean? Ed, 
Like, are, are you trying to say like you're gonna go like watch some? You're gonna watch go the, watch the monsters. Right, or you're you gonna go. That, that has to. If it means anything, that has to be what it means. We're gonna go watch some syndicate. Are we gonna go hang out in a church, or are we gonna go watch Nick at night? Like that, because we're losers and we don't have anything else to fucking do. Yes, um, that's what I called it. I called it fine and lurch when I was gonna go watch TV, with my friends. I mean, but only if you were hanging out at a church first. True. You guys want to go find Lurch, man? Yeah. Oh, dude, man. I'll, we can haul I'd, ass down through the alley. You know what I'm saying? I'd, I'd rather go find uh, Maxwell Smart. Uh, <laughs> what's that, that his name? In Get Smart? Get Smart. Yeah. Uh, 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 oh, what's it? I can't think. Don. Don. Uh, he did the voice of uh, Inspector Gadget also. Oh, I don't know that. What's that, Chief? You where? Didn't know that. I'll be right there. Um, and then uh, uh, Lakini's Juice is fucking amazing. That song's still fucking great. I don't know. Did, did did that one hit you different? Uh, that one hit me about the same. Uh, the video was way fucking creepier than I remember it being. Mm. It's, it's fucking funny. So uh, again, this video, uh, this this album was around the time when they were all over MTV, and I right. Watched. And Lakini's Juice was the single. Was the first that was single. A, that was the lead single, and then Freaks, and then whatever this other one is. Probably turn my head. Turn my head. There you go. Uh, but Lakini's juice, like it's it's hilarious. I have this. It's hilarious to me. I have this very vivid memory of there was a while where I was going to my grandma's house sometimes in the morning for some reason before school or some shit, and I would I would put it on MTV and just watch it because they would play videos early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And this video, I remember very specifically one day this video came on, and I don't know why I have that memory. But I do. I was just like, yeah, you know, one day I watched the Lucchini's Juice video at my grandparents' house. That's mm-hmm. weird. And everyone was there watching it with me. <laughs> it's a family affair. They were, I mean, they were eating breakfast, and I was just sitting there watching it, and they could see the TV, but it was loud because I had it on and shit, you know? I was like, okay, that's a weird memory to have. And then I went back and watched it today for, like, the first time in 20 years, and it's basically just people dry-humping each other, like, on a fake porn set. <laughs> <laughs> and live playing and I did not remember that being the case to the point where I had to go look and see like was this like the unedited version of the video but no there are very specific shots from the video that I remember very vividly no that's just, that's just a weird goddamn thing uh, but but all these videos from this album are the most 90s video the, the most late 90s video because the videos from Thor and Copper are the most early 90s videos you can imagine okay. the videos from this album are are all extremely saturated, like color grade wise. Um, They're all very bright, okay. vibrant colors, uh-huh. like overly, like disgustingly so in a way. A lot of like jittery shots like this and a lot of like quick zooms and, and uh, you know what I mean? Oh fuck, you're right. That is a late 90s thing. Absolutely. A lot of like, shit. a lot of like out of focus shit all of a sudden. Yeah. And just like just... zooms on somebody's, the side of somebody's face or whatever. The f- it's, it's nothing but that. Is this video? Fucking David Fincher has entered the chat. Totally, totally. Man, I watched <laughs> Gone Girl last night for the first time. It's a great movie. It's a pretty fucking good movie. It's a good movie. It's a that fucked up movie. <laughs> that that movie, because Allison read the book. I th- I don't I don't know if she read the book first or saw the movie first or whatever. But she read the book and she was just mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she watched the movie and she was just as mad. And then a few years later, she was like, I want you to watch this movie with me so I'm not mad by myself. <laughs> and she wasn't mad because she thought it was a bad movie. She was mad because of of the- Like uh, the, the subject matter. Right. The things that happened in the movie right. that it's, are super fucked up. I think, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it, I, I love the questions that it asks, forces you to ask. 
and and all those things. Yeah, and it's a David Fincher movie, so it's going to be really well made. Mm-hmm. So you know. Uh, any, anyway, yeah, um, Licking Each Juice is still a solid song. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a little. I think there's a little bit of a well. The thing that's like really great from that, and and because this was a songwriting um, trope, maybe not a trope, but a songwriting device that I really notice whenever people do it, and I really really like it is whenever you was whenever your stru- song structure is you know maybe intro verse pre-chorus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <gasps> not yet. A little tease of a buildup, but then we go back into the first thing. Again. Right. Yeah. And, really effective here. And and in this one, you know. It oh man when it hits oh it's so good yeah 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 it's so good ah. speaking of oh, devices love it uh there is a device at the end of this song in the final chorus uh, final uh final verse of the song mm-hmm. that they straight up reuse in freaks that I did not realize until today what's that uh um uh, I was I didn't expect you to ask me that. Oh, because I thought we were gonna start talking about freaks maybe in a minute. But um, in the final verse of both songs, it is Ed singing the line and then him like whispering an oh. echo of the line, and they do the same thing in both songs. <laughs> exactly the same thing. Hey, hey, Ed. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Jerry's not here to give us any good ideas and direction. Why don't we just do that thing we did again? Pretty much. Yeah, Jerry's not here to stop us. <laughs> I mean, it works, so why not? But it, I listened to those two in a row earlier, and I, I was see. like, oh, they just did the same fucking thing again. Right, and I listened to the album as it is, so it didn't connect to me. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like, I, you know, I think there's a, you know, a little, it gets a little word salad at some point, but but overall, it's it's fine. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Century. Oh boy. These lyrics are gross. What oh, the fuck, Ed? Boy, dude. <laughs> is, is what I wrote down. I didn't remember this song at all, but I oh. can smell your armpits. You're still here, my dear. This puke smells like beer. I got I got nothing as to what this is. Just about. what even what Yeah, it's just it, I mean, I guess so <clears throat> cuz we've written songs or you've been a part of songs where I wrote lyrics where I would write down a lyric and, or, and it was like, okay, this is this might be too far. I'm not sure if 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 I should do this. And we decided to do it. Um, and 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 I don't know that I'm necessarily proud of those when I look back. Like I'm proud of the, you know, I'm talking I'm talking about the song again off of mm. Only Killers, and I'm I'm extremely proud of that song as a whole. There's there's a line in the course that I'm like, uh, it feels a little cringy when I listen to it today. Sure. You know? Um, and, and all I'm really just saying is that if I try to like give Ed a little bit of grace and like this being in this headspace of writing something and and feeling that resistance that, oh, maybe I shouldn't this okay, well, this feels too gross, or this feels too this or too this, and being like, no, fuck it, here we go. I'm committing to this process. You know, like there is something to be said about that. Yeah. But, but man, it has to fucking mean something, right? You would hope so. Um, you would think so. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna take that artistic risk, you know, like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go way out here and I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that is gross or upsetting or really graphic. 
it better it better come you know what i mean like you you better you better be trying to say something yeah like it, it, it there better be a payoff that's what it is if yeah. you if you're asking the audience to come along with you on this gross ass imagery there there should be a payoff of some type yeah you know and it, you know of intensity of a meaning of something or of or of something or even it maybe not even meaning but just clever like a, yeah, a clever turn of phrase yeah, or Pay, whatever. Yeah. Payoff you know? is the right. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe the whole point is to make you uncomfortable. So then maybe the whole song should be making you uncomfortable. You know, I don't know, but it's that's not what's happening here. No. Um, and uh, but like, and it's funny because as I would write these notes, it's sort of like these layers of I would come across something dumb, and then I would try to reflect on like, okay, well, what is a good live song? <laughs> And why is like this... what makes one? Yeah, and yeah, what yeah. is why is this one not it? And and so, you know, it's like so you need you need kind of a out there vibe, and that can be something weird. Um, like on mental jewelry, there's weird vibe, like like you know the 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 song about beauty of the gray or whatever, mm. or or the stuff on selling the drama, you know, selling the drama, or this other stuff on throwing copper, um, or it could be the kind of like. They're like, there's just got to be something musically that feels a little off about it. Uh, you can't just have, you can't just have, here's the chord progression and some layers of some other stock shit. You can't, that, that can't be it. It has, there has to be something weird there. You need to have weird lyrics about weird shit, but the trick is that they don't stand out too much. And so you can use weird imagery, you can use all those types of things, but if it makes you go, huh? Like if you, if you, <laughs> if it stops, like if you're like, did he say armpits? Yeah. It yeah. pull it pulls you out of the, the hypnosis that is the goofy post-grunge live stew, you know? And uh, aggressive drums and rhythm guitar. Like it's a goddamn band. You have to have hooks other than the fucking vocals, <clears throat> which they would not do later in their career. So... <laughs> and and yeah all right and then there was a few other things that i i wanted to say uh <laughs> unscathed i'm like this is pretty great and then it's like oh and now the lyrics are making it weird because <laughs> i really like the way this song started off and then it, and then and then ed went to make it weird <laughs> had to had to fucking make it weird so the song oh no it's not unscathed it's called unsheathed and so Free love is a word I can't linger too long in. Free love, in quotes, was just another party for the hippies to ruin. Free love is a knife through the jugular vein, son. Free love, I can't afford to add up what you fuckers are made of. Huh? That's... What? <laughs> It's a really strange topic to write a very angry song about. Right, like extremely strong feelings about about free, free love. love. Now, there's there's plenty of criticism to give to the hippie movement. Sure. And to and the concepts of of free love in itself or or you know the the double-edged sword of 
you know, of free love, whatever that means. Yeah, maybe, but Ed Kowalczyk wasn't around for that, and he certainly didn't have strong enough feelings for it to be a fucking knife in his jugular or whatever the fuck. <laughs> right, because that's very violent. What? That's very violent, and, and, and the delivery I mean, is listen, very angry. I, I Maybe the free love movement was a lot of things, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s. I, I severely doubt to 99% of people who it affected negatively that it was a jugular that is a knife in the jugular, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, and just another party for the hippies to ruin. Um, uh, there's things, there's things to criticize the that, that era of hippies of, you know, as a whole. But I don't think that their negative legacy is free love. And so what I think is really interesting about this, so... <clears throat> I'm sorry, but I'm I'm just gonna give y'all the raw stream of consciousness, angry shit that 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 I had whenever I like spit this out. I was like, I swear to Jesus, Ed is like an angry spiritual nerd that isn't getting laid, like a pseudo spiritual incel with a knack for melody. Like there's a clear moral compass in the lyrics that is conservative and in a unitarian fucking everything is love sort of way, but it's still conservative, and. So this is this is a this is a thread I would only see knowing where he would end up, mm. Um, mm. and and then it's, it's also really strange, and this is gonna because in the interview that I saw of him he mentions he mentions girls and girls liking their music, and and the reason that they took their shirts off for the pain buys or the the operation spirit video or the pain buys one of those videos the reason they took their shirts off when they're dancing in front of the fire is because the director had the cute camera girl come and tell them they should take their shirts off and oh she's pretty cute yeah we'll take our shirts off sweetie i alone video as well great and so but he's he talks about he talks about you know he talks about like you know the we all, you know, we've always had a great relationship with our female fans. The fact that we're loud doesn't bother the ladies. He just, he mentions chicks and, and girls a lot more than you would expect. Um, and, and so, and I'm, and I'm not, I'm not really like, I'm, I obviously don't have a problem with someone singing sexual lyrics and whatnot, but I think that the re there's a weird conflict of of imagery with live of trying to like spiritual all is love sensual love you know dolphins cry i want to dance with you in the jaws of kali yuga kind of shit you know mixed with free love is a knife in the fucking jugular mixed with born again christian there's some weird shit in there. There's some weird stuff going on. And then I've, I've also seen people talk about like, I mean, again, this is, this, this is total anecdote. What I'm about to say, people talking about like meeting Ed, you know, like, or meeting the band, like, Oh, the, the rest of the band's really cool guys, except for Ed. He, he, he was only interested when girls were around, you know? And so, so I, I'll just say so far, not having gone into this Ed rabbit hole that you have uh, unfortunately had to drag yourself in, <laughs> into, and, in, into and back out of, uh, it sounds to me like what has happened with Ed during this time, up until this time, is that he got 
Does he have like a degree in philosophy? No. Just a self, it's like hobbyist essentially? They decided to focus on the band and make this album instead of going to college. Okay, that was probably a mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it sounds like, Ed, Ed's, Ed sounds like somebody who got way self-importantly into philosophy to the point where it became like his personality. But only to a point, superficially maybe. And then the rest of the time, he was just a 20-year-old dude. Right. Like right. a billion other dudes I've known. Right. But only he right. was able to write songs that millions of people would listen to. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so this is, this is it's an unfortunate double-edged sword because if Ed was just some dude I would know, knew, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, we, he would not get this level of criticism. Right, he wouldn't because, have scrutiny on him, yeah. Because I know... I know literally a dozen guys that have tried to pick up girls by being, you know, spiritual and whatnot. Right, right. I've 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 seen lots of of things of of like that kind of community being involved and in really, you know, being involved a lot in uh, improvised music and and a lot of that sort of stuff. Sure. You know, I don't mean improvised in like jazz sense. I mean a different like jam band kind of sense. Yeah. Or avant garde stuff. Anyway. <clears throat> Whatever, but yeah, I think I think you're right. Like he was just, it was just a fucking twenty-two year old rock star. But I think part of the, you know, but it anyway. But it's like, but why are you mad at Free Love? You're a fucking rock star. <laughs> I thought that's what you wanted. That's the biggest curveball so far. Like what? The fuck so and I guess like if I'm trying to be, you know, speculative, if I'm as I'm like, see, there it is, right? There's there's your your true conservative core that's going to shine up, you know, come up later. Anyway, um. Turn my head. I still like this song. Strings are kind of lame, but honestly, the bar's real low for this album. So, yeah, <laughs> if you give me a little bit of lame strings, it's and it's a decent song. I'll take it. I, yeah, this was another one that I was very familiar with, and I went back to it, and I was like, eh, this is fine. I don't know. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but then that's that, that that's a really good example, I think, of the two viewpoints that we have. Is that turn my head? I think that might be a nice turning point, if you will, because I love that song. I still love that song. And you're like, meh. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just trying yeah, yeah. to convince y'all that I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a legit fan of the band here. Absolutely. Don't doubt. Um, <laughs> don't doubt me here. Um, and uh, yeah, and then Hero, whatever that fucking weird ass song, he's like yelling. They called you queer. I don't know why he's yelling this at the end. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's so Hero strange. Psycho Dreamer. All, and, which is all one word, by the way. Yeah, I don't know what you're yelling about. Uh, Freaks is a really weird, but it's a very engaging track. I think this is still a great track. Yeah, agreed. This was another one that that I was way into at the time, uh, also because they had video, but it was a, it was a single. Uh, it is just kind of a weird, uh, st almost a story this time, in a in a weird way. Right. Um, the video is very cool, though. It is uh. It's some relatively known British actor, like an older dude, who is like the, the star of the video. It takes place in sort of like this uh, fancy uh, uh, modern retro future sort of bar setting. Mm -hmm. uh, but all they serve is uh, milk. It looks like okay. Every everything on the on the bars is milk, sort of. And the dude goes in. He's like ordering his coffee and shit and he looks around and everyone's kind of weird and everyone's drinking this milk and he's like what the fuck he just wants his black coffee 
And the dude tries to like add the milk to the coffee. And he's like, nah, man, I'm good. And somebody sees it and he's like, let's go fuck this dude up or whatever. And so they're like, they, they have a plan to like make him spill coffee on some other dude and get in a fight and all this shit. And then he's like, what's going on? I just wanted my fucking coffee. And then he turns around and everyone's kind of staring at him. He looks all, he feels kind of weird. He's like, oh shit, oh shit. And then they all converge on him and then they make him drink the milk. <laughs> okay. And that's the end of the video is just him with milk all over his face as a famous British actor who's like d- disgraced in the stupid live music video. <laughs> Which I know it's it's fun to watch. The, 90s. Oh, yeah, but but the whole time also uh live is on the stage of the of the bar okay. playing the song. Mm-hmm. And the band is sort of like doing like a weird sort of bandy sort of thing. They like okay. they look they look like a house band. Like a big band? Sort of. Okay. In a way. But Ed is being like full on Ed weirdo Ed. Yeah. And he's like making these weird bug eyed faces and all this shit and doing all this slinky shit. And in the part of the song where he goes, you little fucker. He, the shot is like of the dude's face, the main character's face from the side. And Ed pops in the frame behind him and yells it at his back of his head and then pops back out. And the guy's like, what was that? Oh, weird. I didn't hear anything. Uh-huh. It's just this weird thing. Yeah, Ed is so weird in this video and, and in all the videos, really. But yeah, so that's whenever I think of the songs that had videos with them, the, I those are they're very strongly associated because they were very strong videos in a lot of ways. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, there were definitely again, which makes no, which is totally incongruous, incongruous, incong- incongruous, incongruous yeah. with the music that they would make later <laughs> because all these videos are like, yeah, y'all are making fucking art. Y'all yeah. are making decisions. And then like, Sophia, I need you like a junkie needs a vein is where we were going to end up. Fuck you. Ed. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think I was looking up the lyrics of freaks. I was like, let me see what people have to say, like mm-hmm. in a forum kind of setting about what the meaning are meanings or like on genius or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was, and I was, that was whenever I found like someone talking about like the subconscious, you know, mm. <clears throat> I let the lyrics come from my subconscious and I won't discuss the meaning of them. People should be able to find their own meaning, something like that. And my experience when I read that was my eyes rolled out of my <laughs> asshole. <laughs> like way to not take ownership. Fuck it. It just came from my subconscious. You should try to figure it out. <laughs> armpits smell like beer. I'm not supposed to be able to tell you. You're supposed to be able to tell it yourself, man. Yeah. And again, uh, you know. Which like whatever. Fine point. <laughs> but also fuck you, Ed. Yeah. Fuck you, Ed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so – um. And then uh, I just wrote another thing like, man, Chad Gracie's a great drummer. <laughs> um, and uh, so also something we haven't really talked about much. You talked about Chad a little bit. The band musically, I don't have a bad thing to say about them. They're great. They're totally a solid band. They're a really I, great band. Like they don't do anything that I particularly love at any given time, but they're totally solid. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of, say, riffs. But there's really great texture and there's a really great vibe yeah. that they have that is very, very unique that I don't think anyone else quite has. Yeah. And um and so and I feel like that's that's the first casualty. <laughs> is the you is the is is those three guys. Oh. That's the first casualty. Is is their involvement? I think in the songwriting that is not. that is collateral damage. I'm gonna yeah. say. <laughs> I'm gonna say. Yeah. So 
my biggest memory of this record, because I didn't buy this record when it came out because Jeremy bought this record uh, okay. and Jeremy was offended <laughs> <laughs> by how bad this record was. He was confused. I can totally see that. He was, he was upset. He was like, beer, my dear, my, my dear. <laughs> he was upset that cause <laughs> Jeremy didn't like a lot of Jeremy's music would come from me. Like I would buy things and I would burn co or I would make cassette tapes because I was, I, for what, whatever, for whatever reason, I was able to get a hold of a lot of, a lot more music than most people in high school. Um, because my mom bought me more shit than she should have. And so I feel like Jeremy wasn't going to buy a lot of albums. He didn't, okay. he didn't because his parents wouldn't pay for them. And so, but he bought this one, man, because he fucking loved throwing copper. And he was like, I love this oh, band. Okay. I'm going to buy the new live. Like, he was excited to buy it. Oh, man, that's sad. <laughs> I feel like this is Jeremy's origin story. I feel like this. <laughs> uh, that day, something yeah. snapped. Yeah, this is. Beer? This this is My his. Dear? This is his. Tony Stark betrayed me. Oh, fuck. You know, like this is his Iron Man villain moment. He walked away from this album with a huge scar on his face. Right, 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 right. <laughs> oh, Tony wouldn't listen to my idea. <laughs> uh, like, oh, I so so I I skipped. I was like, well, man, all right, I trust you, Jeremy. And so I I didn't listen to this. Wow. I I didn't listen to it at all. So I went right from throwing copper to distance to here. Okay. Okay. And and. And and there was something also <clears throat> really synchronous about this album, about when it when it came out and when I was to. Oh, before I do that, so there's another crazy thing I wrote down for Secret Samadhi, and I wrote down that Secret Samadhi is the skeleton key to the toxicity that is live. I saw that, and I was like, well, he's gonna say some shit about this, and I, and I was like, wow, I don't know if that's true or not, but that sounds nice. <laughs> but I liked writing it. But uh, I, I mean, but I guess like. It was surprising to me to go back and listen to Secret Samadhi and because I always, oh, that's just a weird record that I don't particularly like as much. I wasn't expecting to find things that, I wasn't expecting to find what the fuck moments in it. I I just thought it was going to be like, oh, okay. All right. That's those are just, you know, because I'll give a lot of forgiveness for a band that's reaching for something and misses the mark. Yeah. You know, and, and I thought I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just a record that, that missed the mark. And I listened and, you know, and I listened to it. I was like, this is just, what? That's what a good point. What are you point. doing? That's a good point. And I think I actually feel the same way because I, I remember liking a, some of the stuff on there and then kind of just not caring much about the other stuff on there. Right. But yeah, this time going back to some of the stuff, it's like just egregiously bad. Right. It, it, it's, it feels almost egregiously lazy in a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the lyrics. Yeah. Some of the lyrics and stuff. And, and you know. But so moving on, distance to here. So I got into distance to here. So around, so my mom went back to school, and she was in college during this time. And just because of the random, the randomness of it all, around the time that this record came out, she, as part of one of her classes, went on a field trip, for lack of a better word, to a Buddhist temple in Houston, and she brought me. And so huh. I got to go and hang out at this Buddhist temple for like several hours. We did a meditation session. We shared a meal. We got to talk to all these monks and like like a round table kind of discussion. And 
and in, I got to interact with this college professor about all, you know, and, and then this album comes out around the same time that feels like it is touching, trying to touch the same kind of thing that I, you know, in my interpretation, you know, because there's a lot of Buddhist influence. There's a lot of Eastern religion influence in the imagery and in the, and in the lyrics and whatnot. And so it became, it became another sort of piece of me exploring Eastern thought in high school. You know, I went and bought a bunch of Thich Nhat Hanh books, you know, and I would, was reading all about Buddhism and shit. I was becoming Ed. Um, and so this was 99. So this, this was, was like 99. 10th, 11th grade-ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. You know, at the same time that Slipknot is about to come out and I'm going to get into that, but I was, I was into all these things at the same time. Like that's, yeah. that's something that is maybe not not as uh, easy to remember it that way because it feels like, well, that had to definitely be two different people. No, I was into <laughs> these things at the same time. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons that it was a very, very special record to me. <laughs> 